Thank you for tuning in. And welcome to another special episode of the AEC Leadership Today podcast. How can we better understand what's happening right now in the world of AI? And more importantly, the very real opportunities and implications here in AEC. That's our topic for today with our return expert guest, Dr. Mehdi Nurbash, who catches us up on and helps to explain in very understandable terms the very real advances being made in both public and private settings. Listen in as we walk through what's changed over the past year and what may be coming over the next, what's behind ChatGPT and other similar programs, and how we should think about their use, how open AI differs from private AI, and how we can begin to better leverage our data for our own competitive advantage. And what separates leaders and firms in terms of their ability to succeed with advanced technology? This episode builds on our previous episode with Mehdi and is designed to increase our understanding of the revolutionary evolution of this technology and hope that we as leaders, no matter our firm type or size, feel both compelled to know more and are curious to explore so as not to be left behind. So without any further delay, let's make our second official run into AI and AEC. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Dr. Mehdi Nubash, founder and CEO of Yegatech, and we'll be talking now for a second time about AI and AEC. Welcome back to the podcast, Mehdi. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I'm glad to have you back, and you're only one of a handful of return guests to the podcast, and um, there's so much to catch up on with this topic, AI, um, and because it's apparent to most of us now that it's here and it's uh, it's going to stay. But before we get into that and other aspects of, of AI, artificial intelligence, um, can you briefly get us back up to speed um, and a little bit about you, uh, your career, and how you became an expert in AI and AEC? Absolutely. So um, I started my career as a structural engineer, and later I moved to construction management, and I realized how inefficient the industry is. Um, and I wanted to change the industry. I was young and I was uh, very inexperienced, I would say. And so later on, I went to, uh, I did my higher education. I went to Georgia Tech. And this is where, as I was doing my PhD in building construction, uh, I was doing another degree in computer science and AI. And that's where I realized a lot of problems that we have in architecture, engineering, and construction 
could be resolved with this technology. Fast forward, working for a major uh, company, Autodesk, in developing R&D solutions for the industry. And now I'm the CEO of Yegatech, an AI consultancy company in the architecture, engineering, and construction, helping the industry leaders and companies to leverage their data and AI to build a sustainable future. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And we did, I, I don't, for this episode, we covered a lot of ground uh, back in episode 85, which I'll make sure I put a link to in the show notes. And we talked a lot about the basics of AI. You did a very good job describing your book, which I think is fantastic, uh, Augment It. And so we talked a lot about that. And it's still one of the more highly downloaded episodes even today. And that was a year ago. But that being said, a lot has changed in a year um, in AI. And that's, so let's leave chat GPT aside for now, because I have a separate question on that. But but aside from chat GPT, what has changed in the last year regarding AI and AEC? What are you seeing? How's it being embraced? What Can you just kind of open up on what's happened in the last year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I will say a lot has changed in the industry. Um, I've been developing solutions over the past 10 years uh, in the industry. And I will say the last year I haven't. So this was an unprecedented year in terms of how many forward looking CEOs are investing more and more in like how they can leverage their data to differentiate themselves in the market. Um, so what I see is happening right now is that uh, companies that are investing their own data to improve efficiencies, to improve the, you know, to get rid of some of the inefficiencies that they have, they can lower their bid and win more projects. Um, and this way they can, you know, increase their revenue, they can grow their companies. Um, one of the, one of our clients that has a curtain wall company, they spend $10 million a year just for a scheduling changes that comes from the general contractor. And with the AI technology, when you can manage that change, that's the $10 million savings in your budget. If you could manage only half of that, that's $5 million savings profit for you. And if you could, you could use it as a profit or you could use it to go lower in the bid and win more, win more projects. So that's the difference, difference that it makes when it comes to oper operationalizing it. So a lot of companies are taking advantage of this. And I see a gap between the companies that are doing it and the companies that are just holding off on that. And uh, this is what's happening in the industry today. What, what do you think that, I mean, um, why do you think there is a gap? I mean, there's the, so there, is, it, is it just they understand more about it, I guess, or, and are more comfortable with it? Or like, what what is that when you're talking to people, can you sense like, okay, this is why you're on this side of the gap and this is why you're on the other side of the gap? Yeah, I guess some people are more curious. Um, a lot of people that contact me, they say, hey, we watched this podcast or we, we watched this video or we you know listened to that podcast. And we're just curious to know like how this could be applied in our sector. And this is what we are doing. 
and then from that discussions we realize that okay there is a huge you know problem that could be addressed whereas some other folks they said oh, we've been doing this for the past 50 years and this is always you know uh, this is the way that we've always been doing that and they're you know less curious to know more about the new technology or how they can do things differently and that is i guess you know between the people that are changing and uh, the people that are not changing the curiosity is something that that's that's different right and and have you seen that more curiosity in the last year than in previous years like just more reach outs to you yeah and uh, one reason maybe that's the next question that we can talk about is that people are start seeing that okay um you know ai is real ai is here to stay and they they didn't they always underestimate how much data they have and uh they always underestimate what type of value it can bring to their company. But since after ChatGPT and some of them, you know, had interaction with, uh, with the technology, they said, oh my God, if this can do that, you know, in the public domain, what does it can do for me and for my company? Okay, well, that's that's a great opening to talk about ChatGPT. That's uh, really stormed us for the since the end of 2022, right? I don't know if it launched in November or December, but people started catching wind of it in early January, February. And in fact, I just saw a stat that it's the fastest app ever to reach a million and like 10 million downloads. Like any app you think of, it's almost a straight line up. So it's certainly being adopted very quickly, or at least experimented with very quickly. All that being said, um, I guess it's technically an open generative AI. Um, but now that it's public, what, number one, what do you think of just having this open source, open form of AI out there? And secondly, how do you see it being used or experimented with in AEC? Yeah, so this is this has been a major breakthrough um, in the field of AI. If you look at the the field of AI in general, uh, for you know many many years there was a slow progression in, in the field of AI, and in the past ten years, you know because of the computing power, the huge computing power that cloud computing brought into the table, you now we were able to train much bigger and better AI systems. And, uh, you know, the ChatGPT is a good example of that uh, because, you know, OpenAI, the company, they said, what if the computation was free? What if we had all the computing power in the world? And what if we had all the data in the world? And what can we do with that? So they started experimenting with that and creating a, a huge model that is very versatile. It's very capable um, and it can do various different things um so when i was at back but in back in my school when i was doing my phd the the ai model that i created to detect the building materials uh, and optimize the building for the sort of the, the material of the structure was really really simple you know it had maybe 4d inputs and you know a few outputs and very few par parameters in that way but something like ChatGPT today has 175 billion parameters. And this is huge because these models, you can interact with them as you're interacting with a, with a human. 
because they have so many inputs that and they can they're so capable uh, that can you know quickly give you uh, realistic uh, solutions and realistic text generated and combining that now the going back to the question of what does that mean for the ac industry today um so today you can combine that with for instance um uh, uh, image rendering with dolly and say hey give me a, a bathroom design that is contemporary and you know these two can work together to give you a rendering of a of a bathroom that you know used to take maybe one or two days if you want to draw it and render it or you use a software to do that and you know combining that with the 3d engine like unity you can you know start having a conversation with the ai system and saying hey uh, draw or give me a 3d model of the building that looks like this or looks like that so moving from 2d into 3d and this could be very disruptive to the way that we create building models today um, and the the BIM could be just the output of you know such such an engine. So for a lot of companies that are working on hourly basis, um, now instead of spending a week on coming up with the 3D model, you can do that in a matter of I don't know, half a day maybe. Um, you can you know sit in your car and as you're going to the office, you can make the model ready. Um, at least this is how traffic feels in in the Bay Area. So you can have that conversation with the AI system and at the end of it, you have a 3D model. So this is very disruptive to a lot of architecture company and, and to a lot of companies that uh, work on an hourly basis. And uh, as an industry, we need to think about what type of disruption this will could bring into our businesses and how we can prepare our teams and our company for this future disruption because this is coming really fast right well i mean that, and that's another question i wanted to ask i mean there is the you know ai is sort of changing the value proposition and i've spoken about this multiple times that you know for 100 years right the the, the knowledge worker has been on top of the value chain as far as you know attorneys physicians engineers architects i mean professionals and because it's about our knowledge and now in seconds and for almost the cost of zero, basic knowledge is there. And so the, the barrier to knowledge um, is, is, is decreasing almost down to zero. And so moving forward, top of the value chain is applied knowledge and then execution excellence and then trusted relationships in that, you know, sort of together with that. So, I mean, the, the, the question is, um, number one, be aware of that. And, and but how do you, do, do you see, when you see firms like taking on AI, I mean, what do you think the change has to be? You know, you mentioned sort of if we're in the hourly space, we're going to be disrupted. But how do you see that just playing? I mean, do you agree that sort of knowledge work is, has taken a hit in the knowledge worker if we don't respond? But how do you think of that in terms of sort of educating our industry on how to take advantage of this, but also not be devastated by it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, we are we work in a very unique industry. It's a it's an industry that uh, there there's a gap in the labor in the market. So the senior people are getting retired, and 
you know, I see, you know, when they're get, getting retired, their knowledge is the biggest loss for the industry. And at the, you know, top of the funnel, we have a few uh, young architects, designers, and young workers who wants to come to the in this industry compared to the other industries. So there is a huge gap that exists today and will be widened in, in the future. So preserving this knowledge is super important to our industry. And at the company level, you know, we work in an industry that project are, you know, have cycles. In one or two years, you are, you know, making a lot of money and you are, you know, winning a lot of projects and you hire more and more headcounts. And at the top of that, when the micro, when the market goes down, then you know you need to fire some people or you need to um, let them go, and it goes on and on. Next round, you need to hire, and next round, you need to fire. So the thinking about the workforce of the future and how this technology can help you to maintain, first of all, the knowledge inside your company. So this is one thing. And when you can do that, how you can use it to onboard the new generation that are, that are coming to your in, to the industry or the new workers that are coming to your company. So these are different ways that we can uh, we can think about the knowledge worker in our industry. Um, I just had a yesterday I had a meeting with one of the major companies in Europe, and this is exactly was their problem: is that they had 400 architects, and because you know they were hitting a down cycle they had to let go of half of their employees. And they said, look, if two years from now, we cannot hire these people. So for them, it was time to invest in technology and AI and see how they can create that knowledge repository and the technology that makes them less reliable to workforce. And so that if they want to scale up, they can scale up. If they want to scale down, they can scale down. Thank you for that. And, and one thing I just want to be able to get your thoughts on too, with with the with the open AI that's out there now, at least with the with the chat GPT. I mean, it's I wanted, I guess, maybe confirm my understandings. It's the 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 universe of knowledge is up through 2021. And no one really knows how it comes up with the answers it does have, but it's limited. If we, whatever happened in 2022 is not in it yet, right? And certainly this year, 2023. So that's a limitation. We don't really know how it calculates and comes up with answers. And we know that some of them are wrong because I've asked it questions that I know that I'm, you know, very familiar with what the answer should be. And I look at it and say, well, it's pretty good, but it's 70%, 80% at best. But yet if I'm exploring it and asking some questions as a, you know, the newly minted prompt engineer, I'm trying to become then I, I get an answer and I'm like, wow, that's incredible. I feel like I've learned a lot, but I'm not an expert. So I feel it's a lot. But when I ask it questions that I am a quote unquote expert on, or I know the answer to, I see its flaws and that's missing things. And then interesting enough, when I say, are you sure? Sometimes it comes back with the right answer immediately. And I'm like, what the heck? So anyway, what, what did, I just wanted to talk about some of the, obviously there's huge power there, there's benefits and um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And, and one of the, the reasons sort of drawn the conclusion um, or restating the conclusion of many others, too, is that it's not about knowledge, it's about applied knowledge, um, because 
if we're into basic knowledge or mediocre work, that's what's being done. The high-end stuff, we need that. But anyway, I wanted to just get your thoughts on that commentary, I guess, to see if it's in line with you as an expert in the industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So think of think of ChatGPT as a proof of concept. So this is where we are at today. It was, so the question was, is it possible to have this huge data sets of coming from the internet and to be able to, you know, train such a complex model? Is it possible? And the answer was, yes, it is possible. Is it perfect? It's not even near, you know, perfection. Um, it's like a very junior intern, if you will, in, in an organization that's trying to learn things. But so this is where we are today. And the direction that is going now that, you know, it's possible, you know, companies like Microsoft who invested in this technology are taking it to the next level. And that means that, you know, at least for the general public, uh, first of all, we used to, you know, if you, we go all the way back, uh, we used to go to libraries to, you know, find books and, and read them. And then these books were digitized and came the era of internet. And we used to now search the internet and, you know, moving from 1 million websites to a, more than a billion websites today, this search engine be became really important. Companies like Google and Microsoft. And, and we got to a point that because of the, the monetization and everything, um, you know, when you need to find something really specific, you need to spend a lot of time going from, you know, one page to another. And now something like ChatGPT can synthesize all that data and summarize it and come up uh, with an answer as if that knowledge is in your fingertip. Um, so this is the potential because of the, so the AI system is as good as the data, right? And because, and the data is the snapshot of the world. So the data is something that gets obsolete over time. So sometimes people say, oh, we have like 50 years of data, but is it still valid? What's the quality of your data? So since the data is a snapshot of the world, the data that ChatGPT is already being trained on is already, you know, obsolete in some ways. So what's going to happen in the future that companies like Microsoft um, or Google, they will come up with their own uh, version of this and they will retrain this over and over, you know, maybe every week or every day or every hour, you know, they have all the resources. So that becomes something that will be, you know, available to everyone and could help us to get to the data information and knowledge that we need faster. So instead of us browsing things and spending a lot of time, we'll be able to find it right away. So right. in construction, um, if we can talk about construction for a minute, you know, when I was working in construction sites um, and I wrote an article on ENR about this, I was just waiting for the information to get to me so that I can consolidate it and make a decision, um, you know. And today with this technology, if, you know, there are lots of, if, if, 
your data is structured, if you can train that on your ecosystem, then you will be able to quickly uh, come up with the answers and you know do the thing that you want to do as a construction manager, rather than just waiting for data and information to come towards you. So the, the, the future is bright. Um, where we are today right now, uh, you see the chat GPT with lots of flaws. But for me, I always look at I always look at it as this was just a proof of concept, and uh, there is a lot to be done. Right, and I guess one more. <clears throat> I do want to talk about the maybe the democratizing agent that this can be, and maybe you know have the impact on different size firms. But before, I mean, one of the, the you know the moving from the sort of the category of of search with Google and search engines to now the category of answer. There's the you know interesting discussion of well. When we searched, we sort of saw a lot of things and we can sort of critically think about things and look at sources and all that. And, and one of the concerns with the open AI is we get an answer and it's not attributed. It's we're not really sure. And if we just run with it and again, knowing these these early models can be wrong or maybe later in they're, they're biased. And is it going to stop us from thinking critically and strategically or do you think it's best used as a start? that this is the output and now go back and get attributions and, and do the research before we move forward. And it gets us an answer, but we should not just run with that answer. And it just, but absolutely. it gets us to the end line. Yeah, absolutely. Like any other human that we talk to and, you know, any, uh, you know, show or podcast that we listen to, uh, we need to think critically about what well, was it the right thing or was it, it's, it's like an intern, it comes back with you with an answer. So it's up to you to check the math, uh, not the math, but the, to check the work and see, okay, this was good. Or think about what are the metrics that the, in your mind you need to have to test the solution. And this is the same for all AI systems. Uh, all AI systems have a level of inaccuracy in them. They're not 100% accurate. So uh, moving forward, you can think about, okay, is this the right answer or not? Um, when we, we used to develop uh, simulators for FEA, for finite element analysis, and we always used to check, so this is the AI, uh, simulation for the building structure, and this is the actual simulation uh, for the building structure. And how, what's the difference? Is it within the tolerance that we can take, or or not? So going back to your question, it's going to be always most of the time inaccurate, and it, that's the mindset that we need to have. And then we need to come up with a framework to to uh, check that. Why did you come up with this answer? Why not that? And uh, this way, we we ensure that uh, you know whatever we will consuming as information is accurate and up to date. Right. So on that, thank you for that. So now, as a, this is available for free, a lot of the stuff is free, or there's going to be a subscription, and you know you don't have to hire a ton of people to at least get a basic level of knowledge, a, a, a basic answer that we have to vet, but we can get answers to very complex questions in seconds. And you, and you think technology over time is democratizing, right? Every, you know, and that, so it, it benefits the small, not just the large, but what, what do you, when you think of AI and AEC, how do you think of this in terms of different size firms? Um, 
do you think you know there's an advantage now to smaller small smaller firms or do you think the advantage is for the biggest firms with the biggest tech budgets how how do you think of this opportunity in terms of firm size yeah um i will say that i think there is a bigger opportunity for a smaller firm size um in a sense that um you know when i was working in my previous company it was a very large company and we used to hire resources and interns and for us you know because of a lot of redundancy that these big companies have hiring and you know intern one or two doesn't make any difference but for a smaller companies hiring a few more headcounts without actually paying them that's a huge deal you know, you can use them to do research on various topics. So think of that as you have now 10 different interns that work on sustainability, to work on, uh, you know, different areas of the business that you haven't thought of. And these are the resources that are av available to you for free, no charge. Of course, you need to check the, the responses they give. But that's a huge deal for smaller companies compared to larger companies. Great. I, I love your analogy as a uh, of as an intern. I, I yeah. you know, and, and the using of this. Um, I think that's that's pretty powerful. How do you I know so we talked about the open AI, what's publicly available. What when you you I know you work with firms sort of custom AI projects like their data, and we talked about this on the podcast before, you know, solving one of their biggest problems. You know, how can we do that? Doing something, you know, uh, making more things more efficient from a repeated operation, or or taking you know a, a marketplace advantage that you know can be sort of harnessed with data and and AI. When you, you so you work with those firms, I mean, how? And then and that point, they have their own IP, right? So it's not public; mm -hmm. it's sort of private in that sense. What types can you just talk about over the last year or so? Uh, and again, don't no naming names, but just because a picture or a, a concept of what's being used. But when you're working with firms on the sort of their private AI or private data, what are some of the the projects like you're working on or ideas being explored just to sort of put a, a face or a picture to to yeah. what's happening? Yeah, absolutely. And we work with all different companies with different sizes so we work with smaller companies you know 100 150 200 employees to like 500 you know medium size more than 1000 and the thing about uh, the work that we do with them is that because they're at the different maturity level in terms of technology and leveraging data we so we actually work with them to first analyze where they are and where they want to be uh, three to five years from now and what is the gap and how we can you know build bridges between now and the and the future so some companies are you know in early days some companies are more mature and one thing that really helps them is how what's their maturity of their competitors uh, they often ask why didn't we we used to win this project but we can't like how come what's you know what's going on um so and because of that, because of their needs are different, we don't necessarily build AI solution for all the companies. Um, give you one example. Um, two weeks ago, one of our clients said, well, uh, we want to, we used to have our own money to develop, you know, this land, but now we want to go for institutional money. 
and what they need is the you know data analytics and you know figuring out what's uh, you know how many uh, how many households are in this area what is their income uh, how what we offer you know matches you know in this area and you know talking about a lot of different data sources and different types of data analytics that they can use to prove the point that they're the right company for and right fit and because of that they need they can raise the money so for some companies it's just what type of data you need what type of analysis you need and we help them to do this type of analytics uh, for others they want to take it further and say well we've done it for this project but we have 10 projects like this so can you help us build a solution that we can reuse it uh, over and over because oftentimes uh, these companies what they do is um, they do the analysis for one or two lands and you know when they want to go to the third or you know five land for for the handful of lands and because of it's very time consuming so they can't do it so uh, what if we can analyze all these data and instead of a handful of lands you could analyze hundreds or thousands of different lands and this is the power of automation and analytics and AI that comes with it and for some other companies you know we can even take that further that okay now you selected the lands how many units you can build um, and what is your return on investment in the project what will be your actual cost and all of those things so as based on the different maturity that they have we have a, a basically different data sources and based on the objective of the project and the roi of the project we can develop different solutions to to support their land acquisition and development and uh, you know other things that they want to do right and is that a series of workshops that you do i mean how i guess mechanically how would that work and i, I know like the, i do a lot of strategic planning and leadership i mean the I mean, you, you can Google slash chat GPT. These are the steps to develop an AI. These are the steps to do strategic planning. So, but the mechanics are fairly straightforward. It's the magic of how you take the steps. And it, so that aside, but mechanically, what, what are, what, what are sort of the, the steps with think, you know, thinking about, and then maybe moving forward with some type of an AI project? Yeah, absolutely. So it always starts from, you know, from the CEO and executives of the company who want to change things, who want to do things differently. And I typically get approached by like, I read your book, or I watch this podcast or watch this video. And I have this question. So it starts from a question like, is it a way that we can change this? Is it a way I can increase my revenue without, you know, hiring more people? And based on that, and based on what the possibilities are, we will have a discovery workshop where we get together before the workshop, we typically go deeper into the problem. During the workshop, you know, we, we have this AI training, foundational training that we give to the company executives. And also, we, you know, during the workshop, we come up with various ways that we can solve the problem. Maybe it's not an AI problem. So AI is just a tool that we can choose to use or not to use. So depending on the problem, we will figure out what are three to five different ways that we can solve this problem. And what is the low-hanging fruit? What is the, the one that gives us the highest return on investment? 
And based on that, we create a, the scope of work and the execution plan, and uh, we create a proof of concept that they can, if it requires uh, software development, we create a proof of concept in their environment of choice. Uh, they can click on it, give us feedback, and further we will make it more mature and deploy that in, into their environment. So from the all the way from the you know the strategy of how you can grow your business with data and AI into defining projects and, and executing them, uh, we we got it covered. Right. And she mentioned data. I mean, even from the beginning, leveraging data and you know, leveraging AI. Um, obviously, data is the critical piece. Data is the gold that the value is in the data, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about data? I know we, we covered this a little bit in the first podcast that it's not just any data, it's very specific data. But you know, what is what is good data? How do you train data? And then can you also share about data governance? Like how to protect your data? Because if the value is in the data, not only do you want to know what data you collect, collect good data, train good data, but you want to own it and govern it in the right way. Could you share a little bit, talk about data and protecting it? And yeah, absolutely. So the way that I um, often talk about data is um, developing an AI system is very similar to um, building a building. So to build a building, you need to have workers and also material uh, to build the building. So the architect comes in, let's say this is the design, and then we'll figure out how many workers with what skills needed and what type of material needed to, to finish that design. In the AI world, that worker is actually the computational power. It's the computer. And that material is the data. So if you want to build the AI system, you need to have two things. One is an architect of the system, uh, which is the AI scientist, and you need to have computing power and you need to have data. Depending on you know, what type of material you have or what type of data you have, if it's, that's limited, um, you can build maybe a smaller or bigger, bigger AI system. So in ChatGPT example, uh, they had infinite computing and they had infinite, well, everything is finite, but infinite data. And that's why they could create a massive, very, very versatile and very strong AI system that is very capable. So in terms of uh, folks in design and construction, you got to think about what type of material, what type of data you have. Oftentimes, this material is just a mountain of everything. And, but you can't just have the mountain of everything. You need to find a way to purify it, you need to make a breaks out of it. And to in order to make, make a break out of it, you need to find the processes uh, to do that happen. You need to make it somewhere, maybe ship it to the side. And there are lots going on to make that some something usable. And this is where the industry, most of the industry is today, that they have these mountains of you know, stuff and for us, if we want to really make it usable, we need to get to that polished building material. And oftentimes what is missing is that that process is not there. So the data governance comes up with processes and the manuals that 
people in the organization should follow in order to get the data in that mountain cleaned up, processed, and make it usable so that we can create these beautiful buildings uh, for your company. And the, the data strategy is, okay, this is where we are today. And three years from now or five years from now, what type of data do we need? Or what type of material do we need? With what quality is it going to be a, a, the you know number one door in the world, or is it going to be a, like a typical door? Or you know the the quality of data is very important, and that often is tied to the type of AI use case that you have. So, for instance, if you want to um, if you want to create a, a you know, maybe an AI system to detect PPE on sites, right? Whether the workers have helmet or not, or if somebody doesn't have a helmet, you know, AI system can detect um, and tell the safety inspector to go check that part of the site. So once you define this use case, then you would know what type of data do you need? So these are photos and videos and in what frequency you need it so are you gonna take that every hour every minute or every second and how should you process that and where should you place the cameras and all the things that goes into it but just by having a pile of photos uh, you cannot you know deliver such a solution you need to have a strategy around it on how to capture it how to clean it how to process it and not only you the entire organization needs to do it with synergy and that's where the governance comes in okay and then the last question on this and then um i want to kind of look to kind of close and with some other use cases but what about owning your data protecting your data if you're using it with third parties is that just a contracting thing or do you get involved with like actually owning it so you own the ip i mean is, is there i mean i know it's still evolving from illegal and that's one of those barriers but anyway any thoughts on that side of it the protection yeah so for us um a lot of companies uh, that we work with you know they own everything and we don't so we develop the solution for them they own their data their own the solution and you know we go to the next company and we develop another solution for them so it's very easy for us to work this way because a lot of companies believe it or not a lot of companies have the same type of data um, maybe captured from different cameras um, and a lot of them think that these are very important which they are in in some sense and and at the same time we see that okay if everybody has this type of data maybe that's not a market differentiation but not every company is using it the same way and that's the market differentiation so a lot of people capture the data but they leave it in their you know one drive or whatever uh, but some of the companies that are capturing it, leveraging it in a way that gives them, uh, you know, differentiation in the market in a way that reduces their safety, reduces their inspection errors, reduces their, you know, probability of getting sued in the future. So if when you're thinking about your data and the, the, the ownership of the data and, on, and how to protect it, um, 
I guess the conversation should be more around, it's very important and you should protect it, but also the conversation should go around how we can leverage that in a way that not other other companies in the market are doing it. Great, great point. So I did want to like actually just maybe a rapid fire, if you will, and, and talk through a bunch of use cases and almost like what comes to mind and in some like hot topics in our industry, you know, like environmental sustainability, climate change, optimizing buildings, land use, and, and we can go through, I'll, I'll list them all, like how to lower the cost of construction for affordable housing and all that. But if we just kind of go through like, like how maybe is AI being used? How do you, as an expert, how could you see it possibly being used? But when we think of things like environmental sustainability, whether that be energy use or carbon neutral, ideal materials, all, but sus environmental sustainability category, what are some opportunities for AI? Absolutely. So in terms of environmental sustainability, so as I mentioned in the book and probably in the previous episode, there are two types of AI systems. One type of AI system is when we try to model our knowledge into an AI system. Um, creating you know, optimization is one of them. So where we create an optimization agent uh, that can optimize the building for energy usage. What type of material do I need to have the lowest embodied and operational carbon in this building? And go and search among these 100 different materials, which one are the best for this project? So... So this type of AI system are more on the, on the optimization side. So you have multi-objectives. I want to reduce the cost because also cost is very important in, in sustainability while also reducing the environmental impact and what's the balance um, in between. So this type of algorithm are like search and optimization. They create a space of all possibilities and search through that space to find the most optimum one for your usage. And in our case, we'll be finding the most relevant material based on where they are being sourced uh, for a given building. And other types of AI systems are like machine learning or data driven. So you need to give them a sort of data that they can look at and say, okay, this is the pattern that I see and this is how we learn this pattern between the input and output. So these type of AI systems are really good for sim quickly simulating uh, buildings for different purposes. So you can create, they call surrogate models. You can create a surrogate model for structure. So instead of waiting for the FEA analysis for like five minutes, you can do the same analysis with 95% accuracy in two milliseconds. Or you can simulate or create a surrogate for energy simulation. So instead of waiting for you know, five minutes to get the energy simulation results back, you can do that in milliseconds. But the, the power comes when you combine these two AI engines together because one of them can quickly simulate the building and say, oh, this is really energy efficient. So in milliseconds, and the other one creates a massive number of buildings. So hundreds and thousands of different building types with different building materials. And because of the, this AI agent is so fast, you can create that in a very timely manner and we will find you the best material in a very short period of time. So 
when we combine these AI systems together, we can create something that um, helps to bring down the carbon uh, and energy of the building while meeting the costs and requirements of the project. Right. Well, and then, so thank you for that. Now there's this sort of what impending opportunity with maybe commercial buildings, old offices that aren't being used that may or may not go into debt, may have a new banking crisis because of commercial real estate. And then, but some thoughts that, wow, we have all these corporate parks that aren't being used. Maybe we should turn them into housing. How would we optimize building configurations and, you know, how, if that was an opportunity to maybe create housing out of something that was once corporate, well, how could AI, and this is your imagination, right? How could AI maybe be used to help consider that and figure out return on investment and possibilities? Yeah. So the, so this type of AI, so I will, you know, move towards more, on um, the first type of AI when, you know, we need to create a model that could quickly look into a lot of different scenarios. So we can, you know, given the type of commercial buildings that we have, not all of them are compatible uh, to be, you know, converted into residential buildings, right? But we as human have those criteria based on the zoning and all the all the things uh, considered. So we can create a model of that and say, now, instead of only looking at this one, you know, building or tower here in this city, look for all the commercial buildings that's available and tell me that three top towers that are most relevant or more suitable for converting them into the residential buildings. And this way you can, you know, invest in this type of buildings to convert them, to convert them. So you can go faster and you can do a lot of analysis in a very short period of time by creating an AI system that knows a certain criteria and requirements needed to make that conversion happen. Great. All right. And what kind of the last of these rapid fires? I mean, there's the, you know, obviously... The, the cost of housing is so expensive and there's a lot of reasons for that, right? But but if we think of new construction, like modular, prefab, 3D printing, how is AI maybe being used, number one, in those fields? And is that the, the, the way to make things actually affordable? And I'd love to get your thoughts on, on that sort of challenge in our industry. Yeah, absolutely. So there are different ways that we can use AI in that. Uh, for modular, um, as an example, um, you can create the AI system that could, so one of the challenges that uh, fabricators, some of the fabricators have today is that the developer comes and tell them that, hey, how many units we can build in this land? And they hire a design you know, consultancy or they have their own design team to you know, tell the developers that, hey, 100 units is possible. Um, and the developers oftentimes say, oh, can you make it 110? Um, and they need to redo this. At, at the end of the day, they may or may not get the job, right? This is a huge inefficiency for uh, the fabricators in the market. So how AI can help them? So we can create a, a configurator that could quickly, based on the type of land and the zoning and the requirements, that could quickly uh, come up with different configuration of that building and say, okay, 
based on this land with this restriction and based on the constraints that this modular fabricator has, these are the number of units that we can build. This is the, you know, the type of, and this is the design. And if the developer, you know, likes that, they can go with it or they not, you know, they can move on to the next project. Better yet, the fabricator can give this tool to the developer so that they can start uh, tweaking it and they can start using it in different lands. So in a disguise could be a, a you know, extension or augmenting their sales team to the hands of developer. And once they're happy, they can call them and say, okay, this is what we can do. Let's work together. Great. Well, thank, I mean, thank you for the rapid fire. I know we, um, you know, <laughs> taking you by surprise with some of that final, <laughs> final question, as we look to um, close here, if, if we were to speak a year from now, um, how would you, how do you think you would answer, answer the question that I started with and that, you know, how is AI being used, um, you know, to, you know, what's changed in AI over the past year? And how do you see AI being used generally and generally in the public and specifically in AI? How would, what I would say answer to that question a year from now? Well, that's a very difficult question I'll say. Um, so AI and, you know, uh, as Alain Waha, a great uh, a mentor of mine, uh, city of Apple say, it's a silicon based technology and uh, you can't, it's, you know, their growth is exponential. So you can never predict what's going to come next because always there is a, another company or group that tries to push the boundary. But um, I would like to say that uh, we, a lot of new companies and a startup came in to create more specialized uh, chat GPT-like technology in different industries. Um, and I would like to say that a lot of construction companies uh, took advantage of uh, this technology that's available today. And they started looking into how they can uh, use that on top of their, you know, IT and infrastructure to give them differentiation in the market, to do their estimating better, to do their, you know, safety better, to do better inspections, to do better designs. And also to not make the same mistakes that they've been making in every project over the past 10 years. Um, to onboard their you know, new construction managers and new designers better. Um, to build something in their company, a knowledge repository that will stay on even after you know, they left the company or their exec exec executive team left the company. Um, so this is me thinking um, about the future and hoping that at least half of this comes true. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I did want to um, just, if you had anything else to share, but you did trigger a thought. I mean, on you said mentioned onboard better. What are maybe an example of how having investment in technology and AI, how do you think that could help, whether it be a construction company or an engineering architecture? How, how do you think that specifically helps onboarding? Oh, that's a great question. So um, it's one of the actually use cases of AI that I mentioned in the book. And there was a project that um, I've done with a company called Obayashi, a Japanese design and construction company. And, you know, in, in this project, we said, what if we could 
put in all the principles and rules that the architects, the designers use to design the building into an AI system that the AI system can you know, learn this over time and also create better design solutions. And right off the bat, the biggest challenge was that all this knowledge of how we design things, let's say you want to design a commercial office, right? Okay, how do you design a commercial office? People often say, oh, I don't know, it's, it's in my head. Um, and that's exactly what the problem is because we know how to do things, but we never communicate that with others. And if we leave, that knowledge is gone. So we started through you know, various uh, studies and experimentations, we started capturing how they design an office building. Uh, the, you know, for instance, the external meeting room, the meeting room that you can bring people in should be close to the door. The, uh, you know, the internal meeting room should be far away from the entrance. And all these kind of rules and logic that, that involved with it. And the AI system was able to capture all of these. And at the end of the project, we had like 60 different design principles that these architects are using in, in their office to design commercial buildings. And one of the feedback we got was that because of the way that like they said, okay, we design all the banks the same way. So basically the only thing that changes is the location, but the design is almost identical. And we can use these rules to automatically create or generate the next bank in a, in a given location. So when the next person comes in, they have all these design principles in front of them that, that computationally is not in a document or a wiki. These are the design principles the computer system can understand so that as it's generating solutions, it knows exactly where to place this room versus the other room. And as these people are leaving the company, you know, they actually their knowledge somehow is embedded inside the company. We did this for another design company uh, for the steel structure. And the person who was super knowledgeable in the company, actually, before we start doing the, all the interviews and everything, he left the company. And the CEO was so mad and he was like, this is exactly the problem that I'm talking about. Because now his knowledge is gone after 40 years of doing this in the company. Right. Well, thank thank you for that. Well, uh, final, you know, as we close, I mean, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you would like to share or add that can either educate or encourage AEC leaders about AI? Absolutely. So one thing that I'd like to leave the, um, the listeners with is that if we go back maybe 40 years ago, um, it was, that was a time for data modeling. So the tools that we had was CAT. You know, you draw a line, there's a, you know, data there, but you don't know it's a beam or it's a wall. So that was the era in the technology, on the technology side, that was the era that uh, we tried to figure out how we can connect different data sources together. So that was the era of data modeling. Fast forward in 2000s or a little bit before that became the era of information modeling. And this is a time that said, okay, instead of this line, this is a class of object called beam. And uh, this is you know, how it connects to the rest of the building. So 
became the era of information modeling. And we still use BIM in the industry extensively and CAT in the industry extensively. And now is the era of knowledge modeling. It's the time that we, you know, looking into different sources and types of knowledge and combine them together to make sense of something or to answer questions. And these examples like ChatGPT are able to synthesize the knowledge that exists on the internet and come up with answers and solutions. Um, like the era of my, both uncles were, you know, engineers and we had lots of drafters. Um, as we moved from one era to another, uh, there are lots of companies that went out of business because they didn't respond swiftly and quickly. And, uh, you know, a lot of new companies got created. And I see that we are in that early days of that era of knowledge modeling where companies that look deeply into their data, into their data structure, and into their data strategy, and come up with the ways to leverage the knowledge modeling internally, will, you know, create for them will be a tremendous market opportunity that they can win projects with, you know, lower lowest bid still very profitable and because they make less mistakes because they're super efficient and the companies that you know go behind the curve those will be companies that may or may not survive because they lost their market advantage so i would encourage all the ceos and all the executives uh, who are listening to this to take this very seriously and think very deeply on how you can leverage your data. And if you have any questions or any thoughts that you like to share with me, I'll be happy to do that. Great. Well, along those lines, how can listeners get in touch with you to, to, to ask you questions, learn more about you and learn more about Yegatech? Absolutely. So uh, you can directly uh, schedule a meeting with me. Uh, uh, you can go to letstalk.yegatech.com. So uh, L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K dot Y-E-G-A-T-E-C-H dot com. Um, and so you can directly uh, schedule an, a meeting with me. And also, if you're curious to know more about my book and uh, some of the workshops that we're offering, you can go to yegatech.com, Y-E-G-A-T-E-C-H.com, slash free, F-R-E-E, and uh, download the, the free uh, workbooks and also the free chapters of the book. I will I mention uh, your, uh, your podcast. I will send uh, three signed copies of my book to people who download uh, any stuff on, on the website. Right. And I'll make sure that there are links to what you just shared in the show notes well as well. Well, Mehdi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again and sharing with us, updating us on AI and encouraging us. And um, I really look forward to our continued conversations. And um, I want to just say thank you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I look forward to talking to all of your listeners 
and learning more about their projects and problems and look forward to see how we can help each other to move this industry forward. Thanks for having me. All right. You're very welcome. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. For joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.